Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, the weather's nice, and you know, we're going to have this election thing behind us in just two weeks. Two weeks, now. yeah. We got Halloween uh, between now and then. That's true. That's <laughs> right. don't, don't forget, don't forget about Halloween. On, no. Oh, shoot. All that you, candy and leftover probably, candy, man. Talk talk yeah. to me. You probably don't get a lot of trick or treaters in your neck of the woods, do you? <laughs> no, we, you got somebody knocking on your door on Halloween. Yeah, yeah, zero, right. <laughs> Come to the, go, the door with a gun or something. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, we don't have any out. We're, we're out where I live. We're yes, kind of out. me you're, you're out quite a bit, too. Yeah. yeah. So no, no young kids around no, in the neighborhood. No, no. But, uh, but yeah, that'll be good. But, you know, football is moving on, too. We're halfway through the season now. Can you believe that? Yeah, that is interesting. We've got uh, the Big Big Ten is starting up this weekend as well. Yeah. The yeah. Ohio State and yeah. that, that crew and kind of late. It is very late. Well, they're going to play solid now for like two months. You yeah. Know, and try to get in like yeah. eight games, I think, is what they're doing. So, yeah. Uh, yep. So that will be interesting. It'll be an interesting finish here. And, uh, yeah. you know, our local teams, other than – Georgia, I felt bad for Georgia. Yes, they, they struggled. Could, could not generate the offense they needed to beat Alabama. Happy to see the Gamecocks beat the Tigers. Yes, yes, the different Tigers. Just want to clarify that. It's <laughs> it's the Auburn, the Auburn Tigers. Tigers. Yeah, yeah. But anytime but, uh, we beat a Tiger, that's yeah, a good thing. that's right. Well, shoot, it's too bad you won't be able to. Nah, beat, I know, I know. Meet, you won't be able to face the real Tigers. I'm this glad time. we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we have a great show, though. Um, you know, we got some some good things to talk about. We're going to talk about the keys to financial success, you know, because um, there are a few things that if you do right, John, it, it, it vastly improves your chances to be a financial success. And uh, we have a great article here from Morningstar that talks about those. So we're going to go through those here very shortly. Yeah, and then we've got a, another discussion on health savings accounts. We talk about those a lot. There, It's a great – it's probably the best account out there. So if you don't have one, uh, something you want to look into. But uh, the question is, is can you save too much in a uh, HSA account? And, you know, we'll get into the details of why that could be an issue. But um, great place to, to save and actually can be a part of a retirement strategy as well if you have a high deductible plan. Yeah, those are a very powerful tool. So you want to hang around and, and listen to that. Um, uh, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. Um, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show or our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website. It's moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast, a lot of other tools out there from calculators to forms and so forth. So check that out, moneymd.net. We also have a um, Facebook page, MoneyMD, right? We post a uh, right. prescription of the week out there. So go check that out. Yeah, lots of resources there on our website. So check that out. And you can also link to us there, send us your questions. We would love to hear from you. Um, and we'll cover those right here on the show. But, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. This comes from the uh, Millikan Institute, and uh, these numbers are, are really staggering. There are 213 vaccines and 319 treatments for COVID-19 that are in the development stage wow. as of Friday, October the 16th. Now, obviously, none of the, the test vaccines or treatments 
have received FDA approval, but there's quite a few of them in phase three. Right. I know we've been talking about this for a while now, and we were hopeful that some would come out in October, and um, it looks like you know probably going to be the end of the year before there's any kind of emergency use for them. But 213 vaccines, that, that is just that's, that's staggering. A lot. That's a lot. So, yeah, I mean, there were some people that were pointing to the Johnson & Johnson, one being halted, you know, the other week. And, and so I would just point out there are actually two of them here that are pretty close now in in phase three yeah. since this summer, and that's Pfizer's and Moderna. Yes. Um, they're both look to have data out in just a month or two. Um, you know, probably in November, they'll both have some data out, and they'll release that to the FDA for approval. So we could have a, approval by December or end of the year. Yeah. Um, for a vaccine. And I think that, you know, to me, it really talks about the election move in the market. I think the development and the approval of a vaccine will be a lot bigger mover of the market than the yeah, elections. I do too. I think it's going to take a while to uh, obviously implement that. I've heard a lot of discussions sure. on people having, um, you know, feeling comfortable taking it. So uh, we'll see. It's um, sure. Gosh, all you need is one, right? There's a lot of people exactly. working on this. We've been talking about that for months now. So it's, and it's very quick. Most vaccines take, years to develop so, so to have one within you know nine months uh to a year yeah. is phenomenal yeah that's right and they're already producing it, it means they already have doses that are being manufactured in, in preparation for mm -hmm. it being approved so that's um uh, you know it's pretty exciting i think uh yeah this is moving clearly at warp speed i mean it really have you know accelerated this process yep so hopefully we'll get something out before long um, that'll give us some relief from this pandemic. Uh, well, John, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the keys to financial success. And uh, this is some really important information. You know, there are a few things that you can do that really make a huge difference over time to setting you up for success long term. And this is based on an article from Christine Benz from Morningstar very recently, and um but, John, you know, financial success is kind of like dieting, as she points out in this article. You know, I mean, it's the boring, mundane behaviors that make you successful over time, not the new, exciting innovations that everybody likes to talk about. Um, you know, and she compares it to dieting, and she kind of goes into this analogy here where she points out that, you know, for her, it's annoying when people start treating food like it's part of a, their very own personal science project. You know, aided and abetted by all the pseudo food scientists out there peddling cookbooks and packaged meals. And, you know, they surmise that if you could only find precisely the right things to eat or avoid, that they'd be able to start losing weight and start running marathons. <laughs> <laughs> so they jump from, you know, one fad to the next. And, you know, one week they're avoiding gluten. A uh, month later, it's dairy. Um, you know, then they're drinking maybe cider vinegar or maybe even only eating keto foods, you know. Um, but if you dare to raise the possibility that eating and feeling well is more about the boring old adage of having balance, then people kind of tune you out, right? I mean, you know, even this lady in this article starts talking about only eating plant-based foods, you know, vegan. Mm -hmm. You know, I call that the male torment diet because <laughs> <laughs> for us guys, you know, meat is kind of important uh, for a lot of us anyway. Um, but while many of these diet fads do work and they do help you lose weight initially, you know, we all know that they aren't sustainable for most people, <clears throat> right? Success over long periods 
with your diet is about eating a balanced diet in moderation and exercise. Yeah, it really is about calories in and calories out is right. what it boils down to. It's just as simple as that. It really comes down <laughs> to pretty simple math, you know, and I mean, you know, just as many people kind of seek that magic nutritional formula to to help get them, you know, in shape or feel better without a lot of sacrifice, so do many people kind of gravitate towards some investment alchemy, you know, some kind of magic to help solve their financial problems. Um, and if they can just find the right mix of investments in their portfolio, then they think they'll, you know, they might, or maybe they just hit on the right hot stock or two, then the rest of their financial plans will fall into place without a lot of heavy lifting on their part. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's there's some folks in our industry that um, cater to that mindset. They're, there are people that sell products that um, they're all too eager to pander to the notion that investors can reach their goals without some kind of sacrifice. And, you know, their investment portfolios can work can work magic, basically, in their products. And that's just not the way it works. And, you know, after all, watching your money grow on its own is a lot more fun than reducing spending in order to, to save more. So, unfortunately, history shows that this, this magic... Um, portfolio doesn't work like that over time. For the most part, uh, you really need to stick to the no fun, super unsexy financial equivalents of eating lots of fruits and vegetables and logging those 10,000 steps a day. It really is. Uh, it can be very simple. So doing a pass passingly decent job with these over many years, and it's a near certainty the rest of your financial life is going to fall into place. So some of these are, are very boring, but they're they're spot on. Yeah, they definitely are. You know, that's right. So here are some of the key things to focus on for financial success. Um, the first one is to maintain appropriate savings and spending rate. You know, it's I know it's kind of obvious, but, uh, you know, this is a reason why this is one is kind of near the base of the investment pyramid. Um, and that's because, you know, even if you make killer investment selections, it's tough to make a plan work if you haven't saved consistently and live within your means both before and during retirement. Um, you know, if you're in the accumulation mode, a key step to gauge that the adequacy of your saving rate is, is, is really the key, right? You got to make sure you're saving enough money and high income investors, you know, they're saving for retirement. They need to stretch beyond maxing out their company's retirement plans and, and IRAs. And while most people kind of stop saving when they're retired, you know, um, maintaining the appropriate, you know, portfolio withdrawal rate is also essential to having good financial health. Yeah, that's saving spending rates, kind of like calories in, calories out, right? I mean, exactly. you got you to manage that. And that's kind of a, a base thing. Another one that's really interesting, and we don't talk about this a lot in the financial side, but you got to nurture your human capital. And so if you're just starting out your career, you know, you're long on human capital and your financial capital is, is probably small. So how much can you contribute to your investments? Um, not the gains on them is going to be the biggest share of your portfolio's growth at that life stage. So the best and most painless way to increase those contributions is really by increasing your earnings and, and not overspending. And that's why we invest and believe in investing in human capital um, through additional education and training. That's a smart use of funds, typically, if you're starting out in your career. So, you know, if you can increase your earnings power with such an investment, you'll have a long time until retirement to benefit from those increased earnings that you have because of education. But, you know, some of those outlays for education certainly may not pay off immediately, but later in life, um, you know, mid or late uh, career uh, accumulators, 
um, they should continue to continue work on their human capital through networking, you know, going to conferences, keeping their skills up and, and making sure you take advantage of additional training and new technologies. So as you get a little bit older, you got to make sure you're up to speed with all the changes in your industry. Exactly. Because you never know when, I mean, you know, during this pandemic, we see people that have been laid off and you got to go, you know, retool and, and get hired again. So you got to have some skills there. You can't let those wane and get outdated. So that's a great point. John, um, you know, the next one here, though, is to develop a sane asset allocation mix, <laughs> you know, sane. a sane one. Right. That's not insane. Right. Yes. You got to keep it kind of reasonable. OK, because we do see people that get carried away with their asset allocation and um, and that that happens. And that's a big problem because asset allocation can seem like kind of a hopeless, you know, black box, you know, um, that that people don't really understand or know what's inside of it. But it's Useful to remember that your financial capital um, should align with your human capital. And when you're young and you're long on human capital, your own earnings power is your biggest asset. So it makes sense to invest aggressively at that stage, um, you know, at least as aggressively as you can stand, right, as you're, you're comfortable with. Because it's unlikely that you're going to need to rely on your investment portfolio for living expenses for many years whenever you're young and starting out. Um, you can afford to withstand more volatility at that point. <clears throat> and that means that you can own more stocks in your portfolio, more stock type investments. But as you get older and get closer to drawing on your portfolio, you still want to make sure that your portfolio has some potential growth and that it can keep up with inflation and generate the income that you're going to need in retirement. But you'll want to steer into a little more safer investments because you don't want to be in a position of withdrawing from your investments, you know, when they're down. Um, so, um, you'll need some fixed income in your portfolios when you start taking withdrawals so that you can give your equities and your stock portion of your account time to recover in a down market. So a great asset allocation that factors in your own situation is key during the accumulation years and even more so during the, the later years before you start taking distributions. Retirees, they can kind of back into a situation appropriate asset allocation by focusing on their time horizon and their risk tolerance while keeping in mind how much return is necessary to make your plan succeed. Yeah, that's that's important. That mix is, um, we do see a lot of insane mixes out there sometimes. So another item here on the list is um, make sure you don't neglect insurance. And insurance is one of those things we see a lot of people neglecting um, because it's easy to ignore the possibility that everything won't work out as planned. But, you know, investing won't protect you against a, a big financial risk, only insurance products can do that. And that means making sure you have adequate health insurance and property and casualty. Um, but also disability insurance is something that's really uh, overlooked quite a bit. Life insurance, if you have dependents um, and uh, an umbrella policy, we're finding more and more people don't have umbrella policies. So right. you want to make sure you get an umbrella policy. It kind of gives you some coverage if you were to be sued you know, if you had a wreck or whatever. So that's that's very, very important. Long-term care insurance is an another thing you certainly want to consider. So, you know, whether you end up claiming anything from these policies is beside the point. The idea is you got to protect yourself financially uh, from these catastrophic risks um, that could de derail your plan. And of course, knowing you're insured, it, it does give you some peace of mind. So there's a lot of different areas of insurance you want to make sure you're covered with. Yeah, that's a great point. That's an important one. Um, and then the last one here, John, is to limit your investment tax and behavioral cost. Because um, mutual funds, stock trading, you know, that's gotten a lot less expensive over the years. That's all for the good. 
But those expenses aren't the only costs that people face when it comes to investing and with your financial life. You know, investors, they can face significant transaction costs inside their funds or their portfolios, as well as administrative costs in their company retirement plans, to name just a few key ones. Um, annuities put a, put a whole nother layer of cost on top of those. Um, so you want to be aware of those. You know, and then tax costs can be a further drag on the bottom line returns. So all of these expenses, you know, they look pretty innocuous on a standalone basis, um, especially because they're often, you know, expressed in kind of a percentage uh, rather than in dollar terms. So you don't really think, you know, that it's real money or don't really, you know, do the math and, and take it out of your return. But when you compound these over a typical investment time horizon of 50 years, I mean, they can make a huge difference between, you know, a plan that's on solid footing and one that's on shaky ground. So, um, so be mindful of the cost. And speaking of cost <clears throat> that erode returns, one of the biggest costs um, all of us investors face is that toll of uh, emotion-driven decision-making that mm. it can make on your returns. Yep. You know, selling when you're nervous and buying <clears throat> after, you know, easy money has already been made. You know, that means that you need to understand the difference between risk capacity and risk tolerance. And, you know, if some soul searching leads you to conclude that your emotions have contributed to, you know, the financial decisions that you're regretting later on, then money spent on financial guidance, you know, having a financial professional can be money well spent, as she points out here in this article. So, you know, if you want to be successful in your financial life, it's like dieting. It's time to refocus on these, you know, sometimes boring but tried and true principles to success. Very good. So there you go. And that's the the, uh, keys to financial success. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question, this person is planning on retiring next year. Uh, They still have a mortgage balance of about $30,000, but they have a very large 401k, about a million dollars. So the question is, is, should I continue to work for another two years to pay it off? Um, or should I pull money out of my retirement assets and pay it off and go ahead and retire? And that's a great question. It yeah. really is. I mean, yeah. I, I think if you're, if, I mean, we're seeing a lot of people that are ready to retire. I don't know if it's the pandemic that's pushing people in that direction, but gosh, with, with, uh, that small of a mortgage balance, um, and 30, that large, yeah, that that's pretty close. Okay. As long as you do it tax efficiently, I, I would say that would be something you'd want to make sure that. You know, if you did thirty thousand this year and you're in a twenty-four percent bracket, and you did it next year and you're in a twelve percent, well, you could wait a couple right. of months and and you know get a tax advantage on it. But yeah, I think that was probably would would be doable in this situation. Yeah, yeah, you definitely want to be mindful of the taxes and maybe spread it out. You know, if necessary, to keep yourself in a twelve percent tax bracket, you don't want to pay an extra ten percent in taxes just because you're in a hurry to pay it off. You know, if you're down to thirty thousand, you're probably in the last few years of paying it off anyway. Um, just based on your payment. A lot of it's going to principal. Um, I certainly wouldn't let that stand in between you and retirement no, at that at stage, yeah. you know, so, um, you know, you might take it out of your plan. You may not. It kind of depends on your situation, but I would make sure you stay in the 12% tax bracket regardless. Yep. But that is a great question, no doubt. All right. And that leads us up here to our last topic here. And that is, can you save too much in a health savings account? Yeah, this again is from Morningstar. Great, great uh, information on the the Morningstar website. And, you know, health savings accounts, Steve, um, they've only been around since 2003. That's when George Bush signed it into legislation. And uh, by the end of that first decade, the accounts had uh, only gained about 10 billion in assets, but they've really taken off 
since then, and they've, mm-hmm. they've mirrored the growth of a high-deductible plan. So you have to have a um, high-deductible health care plan to have an HSA. And as of mid-2020, uh, assets in the HSA are approaching $74 billion, and that's a 19% increase from last year. So certainly becoming more popular out there. There's a lot more uh, yeah. high-deductible plans, but it's a, it's a good place to be hanging out. Yeah, it definitely is, you know, and we're, we're going to talk more about this later, but I noticed that, you know, most people still spend their money out of their plan. They do. Immediately when they put the money in there, and, and you know, I think that's a mistake, and that's one reason why they haven't taken off in terms of balances um, but we'll talk about that. But most assets, though, in HSA accounts, they aren't invested in the market. You know, they're kind of parked into savings accounts to cover out-of-pocket expenses um, year to year. Um, but assets that are invested for the long term, um, you know, that are invested in securities or invested in funds, um, they've grown rapidly. Um, Devonier reported that HSA investment accounts had an increase of 32% to more than $17 billion in one year through June of this year, and the average HSA balance now was more than $15,000. So, yeah, they're definitely gaining some traction. Definitely, and those HSA investors uh, are no doubt attracted to the account's generous tax bill uh, tax benefits, and we've talked about this a lot. So, first of all, you get to make pre-tax contributions, so you save on the front end. Yep. You enjoy the tax-free compounding, so there's no taxes as you go through and go forward. And then you can take tax-free withdrawals to pay for qualified health expenses. So, in fact, based on the tax merits alone, HSAs are more attractive than than IRAs and 401ks, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, the the, only. it's like a Roth and an IRA mixed together. It is. It is. But uh, you, you can, but can you overdo your HSA contributions, meaning can you put more in the account than you're likely to going to spend on health care costs? And the short answer is it's probably unlikely, largely because HSAs have very generous features around withdrawals. And, and in the worst case scenario where your HSA account balance exceeds your expected health care costs, you have two ways of getting that money out sooner uh, without you know negating these great tax benefits. And the first one is uh, is pretty cool. You just got to have some paper. That's right. That's right. Escape hatch number one is the paper trail. You're exactly right. Yeah. If you're using your HSA account as an investment vehicle um, and letting that grow, then the cardinal principle is that it's better to use non-HSA assets to cover your health care expenses. So it's better to pay for your health care expenses out of your pocket. If you can, right. If you can, rather than draw it out of HSA, because, I mean, the HSA accounts, they're they're um, they're tax-free, right? They grow tax-free. The benefits in sitting inside the HSA account are unbeatable. Um, so if you have the wherewithal to use taxable assets out of your out of your savings account um, or your checking account to cover your health care cost. Instead, um, you know, that lets the assets inside your HSA enjoy that tax-free growth um, that you're going to take out down the road for, for qualified health expenses. Yeah, and the good news is that even if you're pursuing this strategy, you're, you're not locked into it. So if you've paid out-of-pocket um, using non-HSA assets for health care expenses in previous years, you can still make a tax-free withdrawal later for non-healthcare expenses, providing that you have the receipts for those earlier healthcare costs. So an unlimited amount of time can elapse between when you actually incurred the cost, the healthcare cost, and when you reimburse yourself. So, you know, the withdrawal will be tax-free as long as you have the proper documentation. So, gosh, you could pull out 50000 in a in a year as long as you have spent 50000 historically on 
medical. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. You know, what I do is I just get our receipts and I just throw them in a box. And I'm just like, you know, anytime we pay out of pocket expense for medical, anything at all. I mean, they're very generous on what they call medical. You know, it could be eyeglasses, I believe. I mean, it's pretty, pretty generous. I just throw that in a box, just keep it for down the road. And anytime we want to take money out down in the future, if they're going to change the tax laws, we could go into our HSA account, pull that money out to offset those expenses we've accumulated since we've had the account. Yeah, open. and it, at some point that'll that I mean that'll be necessary, right? Because there's some disadvantages to that. We'll talk about in a minute, but that's one escape hatch. The sure. other escape hatch is at the age of 65, you have some additional options as well. Yeah, that's true. Because once you're 65, then withdrawal for non-healthcare related expenses. Are, are real straightforward. Um, you can withdraw money from your HSA for any reason after age 65. And if the withdrawals are for non-healthcare related expenses, then it's going to be taxed exactly like an IRA or 401k money um, where you'll pay ordinary income tax on that money when you take it out. Um, <clears throat> but meanwhile, you know, you're able, you've been able to take advantage of the tax-free ride on taxes and defer the taxes for all those years um, up to that point. So that flexibility makes HSAs a perfect vehicle um, for kind of an ancillary savings account um, outside of your outside of your 401k. Yeah, and as we just mentioned, you know, if you're 65 and you've saved those receipts over time, um, you can pull out um, whatever the balances are that you have spent previously and it won't be taxed. So again, if you have a you know $50,000 in there and you've spent 30,000, you have receipts for it, you can pull that out after 65 and have no taxes on it as long as you have that documentation. So that's important. Now, one of the things that you definitely want to remember on this is don't just leave it behind. So even right. as HSAs allow for withdrawals of non-healthcare expenses under certain you know conditions, it's also important to uh, spend this in retirement. So your spouse is going to get a good tax break, but it's not as generous if someone else inherits it. Right. Yeah, it's fine if your spouse inherits it, right? Because between the two of you, it's all treated the same. She can take it over as her own or, or he or she, and they can use it and, and defer the taxes on it and get it tax free just like you could. However, though, if someone other than your spouse is the beneficiary, i.e. your kids, um, the HSA and, its, and its, its tax benefits cease upon the death of the original HSA owner. So, you know, that means that if money that's inherited becomes fully taxable to the non-spouse beneficiary. Um, but so given that drawback, you know, I mean, the suggestion is that, you know, between you and your spouse, your HSA needs to be needs to be used. You know, yes. so you need to prioritize using that money later in life. Having said that, I mean, with long term care expenses, I mean, they estimate that you, the average person spends like two hundred thousand dollars right. on health care expenses you know, in the last, I don't know, 20 years of their life or something. Yeah. So you, chances are you're going to be able to use it. You can use it on nursing home. You can use it on assisted living. You can use it on a lot of stuff like that. It is something I think you, you got to have a strategy for, and, and both you know spouses need to understand that, hey, if you need to pull it out, we have this box of receipts, and it probably would be good to total that up so you know what it looks like. But, gosh, if both spouses are at end of life, um, you know, and you pull it out, you'll get it, ta- you'll get tax-free money at right. that point. So maybe that's at 80 or 90 or whatever, but um, 
you know, the tax benefits are fantastic in an HSA. That's why we always talk about them and uh, right. recommend that you consider it for your your situation. Yeah, absolutely. My plan is after about age 70, you know, I'm going to start <clears throat> tapping into that and, and start you buying, know, buying you, some new clubs, using it up. <laughs> you can buy some more golf clubs, <laughs> offset that that bill from yeah. the doctor, right? Reward myself. So there you go. All right, good topic. And that leads us up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so it's interesting with, with fraud, a new study just came out, and imposter mm. scams have surged past identity theft to become the most common form of fraud. So imposter scams are those people calling you up saying, hey, they're from the IRS or the Social Security, and um, they're, they, they basically are using that power over people to intimidate them, and they're getting people to do wire transfers. They're getting people to... Yeah do uh, prepaid, you know, uh, debit cards and so forth. And, you know, there is 500,000 complaints in 2018 and $500 million of lost money. So you got to be careful. Don't give out any financial information on the phone. Those organizations are going to contact you via uh, letter, right? Just so happens I got one of those calls this morning, John. Oh, did you? I did. Yeah, it was a call from Jamaica. Did it you came talk to in. Them? It showed. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. It showed uh, Kingston, Jamaica, is where the call was coming in from. So I answered it. Said hello. You know, I knew it was a scam. I just wanted to hear what this had to say. And uh, sure enough, there's just it's this voice that comes on the line. It's kind of masked. You can tell there's some kind of computer alteration on the voice. And uh, the guy says, "Yeah, this is about a package delivery um, for you." I said, oh, yeah, that's great. I said, great. I said, well, what do I need to do to get my package? And he was like, well, you know, he said, you'll need to call another number for that, you know, and here's a number for, you know, something Morgan, this guy, and he gave me the long phone number, made me repeat the phone number to make sure I was paying attention. You know, I repeated the phone number to him. And he was like, yeah, call that number. I said, well, why do I have to call the number? You know, can't you just like, you know, give me my package? And he was like, oh, no, we have to call the number. I said, well, can he call me? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll have him call you. And I said, okay, great. You know, and that was into the conversation. I hung up and blocked the number. But uh, So he hadn't called you yet? No, he hadn't called me. And, I, you know, I wasn't going to let. He's probably sitting there going, yes, I got another one. Yeah, I, <laughs> I wanted to see if he would hang up on me and, yeah. and let, let you know, uh, yeah. realize that I was on to him. But uh, it's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it just they get those things all the time now. You know, what's interesting is the the study that came out is, um, you know, older people are taking advantage of, but there's a lot of younger people that fall for that as well. They haven't um, gone through that or just don't know, you know, what's yeah. legit and what's yeah. not, you know, legit. So just be careful. Don't give any financial information out over the phone. No, that's the key. They're going to try to lure you into eventually giving them something, you know, a credit card number, your Social Security number, something they can use and you know, of course, they're going to say you have to pay something to get yeah. it shipped or, or some reason that they need they need that information. So you just can't fall for it. They're trying to get you to let your guard down. You want to just avoid those type calls. I was just seeing if he would ask me for information yeah. right there on the phone. Yeah. And they didn't ever quite got there. They wanted me to wanted me call, to call else. somebody yeah, else. They need to fix their system a little bit. That's right, man. He could have had me. <laughs> Not. Anyway, uh, good good prescription of the week here. But that brings us to a close for this week's edition to MoneyMD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions or give us a call. Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 